to One Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. go to the Word, and uh, could I actually get the house, I'm a, I'm a diva, or acting like a diva this morning, would y'all mind just turning the house lights up just a little bit so I can see the beautiful faces of everybody here, and uh, Luke chapter 1, and uh, if you're familiar with the story of the Bible, who knows what Luke chapter 1 is? Just shh, take a stab at it. That Jesus, there you go. Right answer, Rachel. When in doubt, just go with Jesus, okay? And uh, she was trained well in Sunday school. And uh, it's about Jesus and not just any random story. This is actually the uh, account of the birth story. And um, we are getting into the, a little mini-series that we're going to be doing over the next uh, three weeks, leading up to Christmas, stirring our hearts uh, with the Christmas spirit, and uh, hopefully refreshing our vision uh, about the significance of Christmas. And, you know, I'll let you in on a little secret. Uh, oftentimes for pastors, uh, one of the challenging times of the year in terms of teaching and preaching is the Christmas time. Not because we don't love the Christmas story, but because every year we are uh, going back to the same story, we're reading the same thing, and we're trying to bring it in a fresh way. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and so I really felt like as, as Christmas was approaching, I felt like the Lord stirred something in my heart um, that this year God wants us to look at the Christmas story in a new way. And uh, it actually goes right in line with the testimonies that we just heard because I believe that God wants us to look at the Christmas story through what I would call an apostolic and prophetic lens. Now, you may hear that and think, what in the world is that? Uh, if you were with us several months ago for our uh, series on spiritual gifts, you may remember the gift of an apostle. Uh, is, uh, it lit literally means the sent one. It's, it's a person who is expanding the mission of God, pushing out the boundaries, blazing new territory for the kingdom of God. It, it, it's the sent one. And a prophet literally means a seer. It's one who sees in the spirit. And, and the Bible uh, gives us lots of uh, gifts that are all very important. And, uh, and really, they all shape the way we see and, and respond to what God is saying. Uh, oftentimes when we talk about the Christmas story, we look at it perhaps through a, a pastor lens or a teacher lens. A pastor is all about caring for people. And, and so a pastor lens is going to look at this and it's going to see the words, do not be afraid. And the pastor is going to bring encouragement and comfort and care to the flock. Uh, the teacher is going to look at this and he's going to want you to know the context. He or she's going to want you to know the context. And all of those things are good. They're all kind of like you know, uh, on the ground, so to speak. They're in the details of our life and the details of the scripture. And, um, and they're super, super important. But ultimately, if we don't see the bigger picture, we lose out and we miss out on the significance of 
the details. Let me put it this way. If I could use a military metaphor, it's kind of like the pastor teacher is the boots on the ground, the, the army uh, infantry that is on the ground, and the apostolic and prophetic is kind of the central command, the general that is looking over the whole battlefield. And, and it's important for all of us to understand both the place that God has us and also the bigger story that we're living in. You see, I believe one of the best things for us personally is to see the bigger picture that we're living in. I mean, in in our world, one of the greatest challenges today that is uh, so evident and, and rampant is the challenge of anxiety. And especially around this time, I mean, if you don't deal with anxiety any other time of year, just get on I-4, and uh, it will hit you, right? But I believe one of the greatest ways to address our own personal needs is to zoom out and to look at the bigger picture of what God is doing. And when we do, we will see, wow, God's at work in my life. And so that's what we're going to do today. Hopefully I haven't totally confused you and lost you through that, but I just wanted you to understand where we're going. So Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Everybody have it? I think we have it for the screen too. And it says this, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It says, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, considering and considered what manner of greeting this was. What, What in the world is this? An angel has shown up to me. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive. I love that phrase. You will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name, what's his name? Jesus. And he will be great and he will be called the son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? I've never been with a man. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren, for with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we ask over these next minutes and moments, God, that you would stir our hearts afresh with the beauty and the wonder of this story in this Christmas season, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love 
uh, the Christmas story, and I love the Christmas season. I love all uh, the trappings of Christmas. I love all of the food and all of the celebration and all of the time with family. I, I love everything about Christmas. And, um, but, but one thing that I think is perhaps a danger of Christmas is that oftentimes we allow Christmas and our understanding of Christmas um, to, to be shaped by something other than God's vision of Christmas. Uh, the reality is that in our world today, the Christmas story is highly competed over. Who dominates the meaning of Christmas. And, and oftentimes, um, the reality is that our vision of what Christmas is is shaped more by, you know, sappy sentimentality, Bing Crosby, Mariah Carey, NSYNC, Christmas music, and hey, I'm not hating on any of those things, but we oftentimes reduce Christmas down to this nice sentimental moment that oftentimes looks more like a Hallmark greeting card than it does the story we find in the Bible. I mean, think about it with me for just a moment. We sing songs like Silent Night. Really? Has any, anybody ever had a baby? <laughs> Silent Night? That's... It's anything but silent, right? And, and so we allow other things to shape our perspective of this story. And ultimately, we minimize the significance of the Christmas story down to a moment that happened in history at best. But we miss out on the significance of what God is offering to us. You see, the Christmas story, as beautiful as it is that, that Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem, the Christmas story is not just about that historical moment in time. Even in this text, we see the significance, global historical significance of what happened to Mary, that it says that that her son Jesus would have the throne of his father David, that he would reign over the house of Jacob. What did that mean? That is not just a nice little, let's sit by the fire and have a nice glass of eggnog moment. That is actually the, the fulfillment and the hinge point of all of God's plan for mankind. I don't know if you realize the significance of this story. This is not just there was a baby being born. This is actually God launching his eternal invasion of earth through a baby. This is not just some little nice moment that gives me all the feels. This is a moment that changes everything. And ultimately, it's not just about what God wants to do through Mary. I love that phrase. The angel says to her, behold, you will conceive. What does it mean to conceive? It means to, to, to receive something, life imparted onto the inside of you. And ultimately, I believe the Christmas story is not just about 
Mary conceiving, and we celebrate that moment. It's not just about what God wants to, or what God did through Mary. It's about what God wants to do through every single one of you. You see, God doesn't want you to just believe in Christmas or believe in Jesus. He actually wants to conceive something in you. He doesn't want you to just be a believer. I've said it before. The Bible says that even the demons believe. And so belief alone is not God's plan. He also wants to conceive something in us. He doesn't want us to just remember the moment of Christmas. He wants us to experience the movement of Christmas. Michael Horton, the theologian, says it this way. Believers are no longer spectators, but are actually included in the cast in this drama. We must think of ourselves as graciously invited to become part of the cast of play actors and performers in developing God's great story. In other words, Christmas is not just the story we read. It should be the story that we are invited into, that we are living out of this Christmas story. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Galatians chapter 4, 19. I labor, listen to this, I labor until Christ is formed in you. So what he's saying is what happened in Mary physically, this life imparted into her this spark of divine life that was conceived in her spirit. Paul is saying, I'm laboring until what happened in her physically manifests in you spiritually. God's plan is not just for Christ to be conceived in Mary. It's for Christ to be conceived in you. Paul says it this way in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. What's the hope of glory? It's not just that Christ came 2,000 years ago, and I don't mean to minimize that in any way, but what that accomplished is, is ultimately inviting every single one of us into relationship with God through Jesus, not just so that we can go to heaven when we die, but so that God can manifest the life of heaven, what, what the Bible calls the kingdom of God through our lives here and now. It's Christ in you. In other words, when you put your faith in Jesus, there is a divine deposit that has been implanted into your spirit. That's why the Bible says that we are to receive the implanted word of God in our spirit, which has the power to save our souls. And so God's plan is not just that Christmas is a moment that happened 2,000 years ago, but that it is a movement that is unfolding across the world, that God is manifesting the person of Jesus through your life. What was it, the team that went to El Salvador? It was the hands and feet of Jesus showing up to care for the orphans and the widows. 
What is it when we bring gifts to the Russell home? It's the manifestation of the life of Jesus. It's the will of God being done on earth as it is in heaven, not through our just good deeds, but through the power, the life, the presence of God living in us and flowing through us. God doesn't want us just to believe in Jesus, although, and again, I'm not minimizing that, but most people make that a, I've checked the box, now I wait until the end. And that's not what God wants. God wants to, he he wants to birth a Jesus movement through our lives. He wants to change the world through you. And so I want to give you a few keys out of this passage of Scripture in the story, the life of Mary, keys to conceiving a Jesus movement, some things that I believe if we want to really understand the significance of Christmas, things that we need to grab hold of. The first thing that I want you to see, number one, is this, that God moves in a time and a place. Let me say that again. God moves in a time and a place. Notice what the scripture says in verse 26. It says, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, back up from this story for just a moment, and and, and let's just think for a moment about this time that, that the angel came into. Think with me for just a moment. It says it was the sixth month, and, and, and Mary was betrothed to be married. In other words, she was engaged. She was planning a wedding. How many of you know if there's ever an inconvenient time for an interruption, it's when you're planning for a wedding, right? If there's ever a person that is stuck to their plan, it is a woman who is preparing for her wedding. No offense, men, okay? But here, the angel came up in a time, in the sixth month, and at an inconvenient time, which is actually pretty much a foretaste of what having a baby is all about. I don't know if you have realized this, but being a parent is pretty much adjusting your life to constant interruptions. I mean, Jennifer and I... Just last night, there's this miracle that happens in our house as soon as our heads hit the pillow from across the house. Mama, mama. I was like, that's your name? She's saying your name. It's beautiful. She wants you. And this is really similar to what it means to live this life Uh, allowing Jesus to work through our lives, we have to get used to being interrupted. We have to get used to adjusting our time to his time. It's kind of like parents that say, we're getting getting the baby on a schedule, right? AKA, we're at home in bed in our pajamas at seven o'clock every night, right? Which to me doesn't sound like you're getting the baby on the schedule as much as he's getting you on his schedule, right? Which uh, I'm not stirring up any parental controversy, but you don't get the baby on your schedule. You adjust to the baby. I mean, you can have your birth plan. You can have it all laid out, and it can be beautiful until that baby shows up, right? 
It happens at an inconvenient time, and it also happens in an inconvenient or an unlikely place. God shows up at inconvenient times and at unlikely places. Here it says, the city of Nazareth. If you know much about the biblical narrative, you know that Nazareth was not the epicenter of spiritual life. It was not the epicenter of political power. In fact, it was kind of like, well, I was going to use an example of a place around here, but I won't do that at the risk of offending anybody that lived there. But here was the reputation that Nazareth had. They said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good? And so in other words, God stepped into this unlikely time and this unlikely place. You see, God dwells outside of time and space. He, he's omnipresent. He's not limited to a space. And he's also, the Bible says that he's outside of time. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's outside of time and space, that's why he can be in control of your life because he's not limited to your moment. But there are moments when God steps out of eternity and he steps into a moment. He steps into a time and he steps into a place. Here he it says it was the sixth month in the city of Nazareth. God at times steps into our time and into our places. The Bible uses these two Greek words to differentiate between two kinds of time. The word chronos, which is the passage of time. Which right now it's 1045. Maybe, or maybe it's 1111. Um, chronos is the passage of time. But there's another word for time in the Greek language that scripture gives us. And it's not the word chronos, it's the word kairos. Kairos. Kronos is the passage of time. Kairos is the opportune time. It's that moment where eternal destiny collides with our present reality. It's a Kairos moment. It's what I call a God moment. You see, a God moment is when God steps into your time and into your place. A God moment is what Isaiah had in Isaiah chapter 6 when he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I also saw the Lord. A God moment is what Jacob had at Bethel in this desert as he wrestles with God and then he wakes up and he says, Surely the Lord was in this place. This is the house of God. Why? Because God had stepped down into time and space. A God moment is what Saul had on the road to Damascus as he's on his way to destroy the church and suddenly he's knocked off of his donkey and a voice speaks to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It was an encounter that changed his life forever. You see, the direction of your life is changed by God moments. God moments, the moments when God steps into your time and into your place become the markers by which life is measured. From that moment forward, Isaiah looked back to that moment that he saw the Lord. It was no longer just the year that Isaiah died. It was no longer 
uh, just just the, the, the place where Jacob had wrestled, or, uh, the, the desert where he ran for his life, but it, came the, it became the place that he encountered God. And notice in every one of these instances, their calling became conceived on the inside of them. There was a transformation that came from this time forward because there was something that happened to them. You see, God moments, these Kairos moments, are moments that ultimately you can't plan for. I mean, you don't put it on your Google calendar and just say, God's going to break into my life at this moment. Let's, set, let's set, the, you know, set a reminder so I don't miss it. You can't plan a God moment, but listen to this. You can prepare for it. You can't plan it, but you can position yourself in a place that when that moment happens, you are in the right place at the right time to receive the encounter from God that will change your life forever. Maybe you remember the story or the parable of the ten virgins out of Matthew chapter 25, and the whole point of the story was all about, will you be ready when he comes? You see, that's a question for every single one of us. We don't know when God may show up and change the whole trajectory of our lives. We don't know where that may happen, that God may step into our life, but we can prepare for it. That's what the, the gift of prophecy is meant to do. The gift of prophecy, as John the Baptist was called to prepare the way of the Lord, the gift of prophecy creates this, this holy expectation the gift of prophecy stirs us up that God could do anything. You see, when prophecy is present in a church, people don't just drag into church to, to meet their weekly obligation. There is this, wow, wow, what's going to happen today? Wow, what's God going to do today? What, this may be the moment that, that God changes my life. This may be the moment that God speaks to someone and we send them out to the nations of the world. This may be the moment that I get a word from God, a, a, a vision, a picture, a call to business. Who knows what God might do? And that's what the gift of prophecy gives us, this dynamic expectation of what God might do. And so we need to live with this, this dynamic readiness. You can't plan for a God moment, but you can prepare yourself or position yourself for it. If you're, if you're familiar with the, the Christmas story, a couple of chapters later, you see that after Jesus was born, he was brought into the temple and there was these two very interesting characters. One was a man named Simeon and one was a, a lady named Anna. And they were both uh, older, an older man and an older woman in their 80s. I always read it and kind of think, they'd be a cute couple, you know? The Bible never says that, but I just kind of think that. I think they'd go well together. But the Bible says that they had received this vision that they, Simeon says, I would not die. The Holy Spirit revealed to me, I'm not going to die until I see the anointed one, until God shows up. And so there they were in the temple. They were praying. They were fasting. They were, they were preparing for the arrival of the king. You see, behind every move of God, there are people that are making preparations. 
There are people that are laboring in the spirit for what God is going to do. There are people that are preparing themselves and they may feel like, you know, maybe it's not going to be today, but maybe it's going to be tomorrow. Maybe it's not going to be tomorrow, but maybe it's going to be next week. But there will be a day that God will step into our reality. And so God wants us to live with this holy expectation. Why? Because God moves in time and places. Call it a revival. Call it a renewal. Call it an outpouring. Call it a visitation. Call it what you will. But there are times that God providentially steps down into human history and can change your life in an instant. God moves in time. And God moves in space. Number two, not only does God move in a time and a place, but look at what verse 27 says. It says, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. The second thing I want you to see about conceiving a Jesus movement Birthing God's destiny through your life is that God not only moves in a time and in a place, but secondly, God moves through unlikely people. God moves through unlikely people. Are any of you thankful that God uses unlikely people? I mean, let me just rephrase that. If God moves through people, everybody falls under the category of unlikely, right? I mean, just people. God dwelling in us with us. I don't know. I don't know the details of your life, but I know the details of my life, and I go, uh, unlikely, <laughs> unlikely, right? But that's who God uses. You see, if I were God, scary thought, but if I were God and I was going to come to the earth, I don't think I would choose Mary. I would choose some educated. Elite, I would choose some rich and wealthy influencer. That's who I would use. But that's not who God used. God used perhaps the least likely. You see, when God wanted to come to the earth, when he wanted to send his son, his only begotten son to the earth, who did he choose? A teenage mom. A teenage mom. Now we think of Saint Mary, and we think of her very sanctified and dignified, but she was just a, a teenager in the town. And God looked down, and he, the Bible says she found favor with God. You see, that's the good news of the gospel, that unlikely people have, through Jesus Christ, found favor with God. And that God is manifesting himself through unlikely people that God has chosen to change the world. You see, it's interesting to me that God entrusted himself, not just to Mary, but that he would entrust himself to a mother. See, motherhood is perhaps the most mundane task in the minds of many people, right? It's not some grandiose, uh, you know, responsibility. God didn't give Jesus to a PR rep, this, will be, this is a good move, right? That's not what he did. He gave his son, he gave himself to a, a mother. The most mundane of jobs, changing diapers, wiping noses, cleaning up messes. The work is nonstop. 
But perhaps he gave himself to a, a mom in this mundane ordinariness of life just to show us that God wants to move through ordinary people in ordinary moments. You see, I, I know the song, Mary, Did You Know, has made it a little, a, a little trite. But think about as Mary was caring for Jesus, she was caring for God himself. And oftentimes a move of God doesn't look very grandiose. Maybe it looks like just showing up to your neighbor's house when they're sick. Maybe it looks like just coming home and, and, and reflecting the love of God in your home. It's the ordinariness of life. God uses ordinary people in ordinary places. And so today you may feel like God can't use me. I'm just a fill in the blank. I'm just a mom. I'm just a dad. I'm just a, I'm just a fill in the blank. Whatever your station of life is. But Mary reminds us that even though you may feel unnoticed by men, you're not unnoticed by God. And you may be the very place that you're in may be the training ground and the proving ground and the preparation for what God is going to birth through your life. You may feel unnoticed and unimportant, but God would speak over you through Jesus. You've found favor in my sight. Why? Because he's looking for people that will not promote themselves, but will promote him. He's looking for people that, that will not take his glory on themselves. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 and 28 in the message says this, take a good look. Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you, not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? He chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. You see, God looks down from heaven and he sees men and women who've been overlooked by society, who have been cast aside, who may feel insignificant and others may say they're insignificant. But God looks at them and he says, you found favor in my sight. Blessed are you among men. Blessed are you among women. The Lord is with you. So God moves at in a time, and God moves in a place. But the third thing I want you to see as we land quickly today, put your seat backs and tray tables in their upright, <laughs> locked position. We're coming in quick today. The third thing is that God also moves by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. Look at what Mary says, when the angel appears to her, her response in verse 34 is, how can this be? How can this be? How's it going to happen? In other words, she was trying to figure it out in her own mind. And I don't know if you're like that. Maybe some of you are. That can be a wonderful gift that, you know, you can organize something and you can plan something and somebody just tells you the goal and you in five minutes have the whole strategic plan of how you're going to execute it. 
And that can be a wonderful gift, but that's where Mary was wanting to go. How, how's this going to happen, God? You know, here's what I've found is that sometimes you begin, God speaks something to you. He imparts something to you. He gives you a vision, a call, a word into your heart. And sometimes we respond in the same way. How's that going to happen? Let me get the plan together. And here's what I want you to know is that you don't plan your way into God's destiny for your life. Now, I'm not against planning. I'm for planning. The book of Proverbs gives tons of practical counsel regarding planning. But ultimately, the greatest things that will come out of your life are not through your good planning. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever noticed the church didn't begin in a strategic planning meeting? It began in a prayer meeting, right? And, and, and what happened in that prayer meeting the Holy Spirit came. And this is what the angel says to her. She says, how's it going to happen? How's it going to happen? I don't know a man. This, the logistics just don't work. I don't know if you have, if you've got the right plan, but here's what the angel says to her. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Holy Spirit, the creative presence of God, the life-giving force of God. We were singing earlier today, it's your breath in my lungs, so I'll pour out your praise, pour out my praise. It's that ruach wind of God is going to come upon you and will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. You see, the greatest impact that will come out of your life is not through your even good effort. It's, it comes out of the work of the Holy Spirit manifesting in our lives. And sometimes God puts a dream in our heart and we go to, all right, let's get her done. Right? Let's do this thing. Right? Rather than recognizing, I, I can't do it. I can't do this. And ultimately, it's not you. It's the Holy Spirit manifesting through you. He will overshadow you. Some of you maybe are in a place in life that God's spoken something to you and you're frustrated because you just can't make it happen. Let me remind you, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. John chapter 3, verse 6 says it this way, What gives birth to flesh is flesh, but what gives birth to spirit or what gives birth to that which is eternal is by the Holy Spirit. This is the reality that changes everything, that God is with us not only historically through Jesus, but he is with us presently through the Holy Spirit. Read through the Christmas story, Luke chapter 1 and 2, and look at how active the Holy Spirit was. The Holy Spirit was conceiving Jesus. The Holy Spirit was uh, filling Elizabeth. The Holy Spirit was actively involved in all of the details of the story. And God is wanting to conceive something in us by the Holy Spirit. And here's what our response is. It's not, I'm just going to go get it done. Here's what our response should be. As Mary said, let it be unto me according to your word. God, if you've said it, 
you've got to bring it to pass. God, if you've put this dream in my heart, you've put this call in my life, God, you're the one that's going to have to bring it to pass because I just can't do it. See, we live in a world that prizes the hustle and the effort and the striving and the grinding to get it done. But in the kingdom of God, softer is better. It's not a try harder kingdom. It's a try softer kingdom. Why? Because that's not your effort. It's the grace of God manifesting through your life. As we approach the Christmas season, I believe that God is wanting to stir us afresh with fresh breath in our lungs, fresh wind in our sails, fresh expectation that Christmas isn't just about what happened 2,000 years ago. It's about what God has deposited within you and wants to birth through you your destiny to manifest the life of Jesus into the world. I want to ask the worship team to come back up. I want to ask if you would just to stand to your feet and we'll dismiss in just a moment.